Good morning. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you want to turn there in your Bible, we are uh, in this sermon series in Thessalonians uh, entitled Blameless. Uh, we have been looking at what it means to be blameless as a Christian. So we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read uh, the whole chapter together and then uh, have a conversation about it. So starting in verse 1. It says, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but please God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you, not from anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship, but we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you like a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you in the, in the, to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because you received the word of God which you heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you brothers became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Jesus Christ. You suffered from your own countrymen the same thing those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God, are hostile to all men, and their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always will heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father and our God, as we come before you this morning, we come with grateful hearts for your presence among us right now, that your spirit is at work in our hearts and our minds. And I pray, dear Lord, that the word of your gospel, the truth of your word, will speak boldly to each of our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. 
Now, there are some speculations to why Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians. It might be that Paul has heard back from Timothy that the Thessalonians have a negative opinion about him. Or maybe the Thessalonians misunderstood his motives. It's possible that false teachers, remember he talked about the opposition, right? The false teachers have spread false rumors or have slandered Paul's good name. But for whatever reason, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is a defense of his, mess, his ministry and message in Thessalonica. It is through this defense that we're able to see what it means for each one of us to imitate Jesus Christ when we share the good news. You know, Jesus Christ had a particular strategy when he engaged people, right? If you read through the Gospels, you'll notice to the religious elite, he was always harsh, and he spoke to them on their level. To the masses, he spoke in parables and taught in ways that they would understand. To the Samaritans and the Gentiles, he started with their worldview, and he engaged them as well. Paul's defense in 1 Thessalonians 2 basically communicates that he tried to imitate Jesus while he was in Thessalonica. So let's take a look at this this morning and see a few ways that Paul attempts to engage his community with the gospel. If you're following along in your notes, maybe write this down, that Paul had pure motives. Thessalonica was a very large city. It was the intersection of a couple trade routes. These routinely would have been visiting by wandering prophets, philosophers, entertainers. Maybe someone tried to convince the community that Paul was just like one of these traveling philosophers, only after money or attention. But Paul says, I did not come with impure motives. He explains that he was persecuted on his way to Thessalonica, and when he was arrived, he was persecuted there as well. He explains that he didn't try to trick them. He didn't try to flatter them or extort them. He asked them just to consider his message, which pointed to the powerful words of God, not man. He has sought the approval of God, not man. I started piano lessons when I was a freshman in high school. I remember I worked really hard for my first recital. It was kind of embarrassing because most of the kids that were my age had been playing since they were five, so they were playing really hard pieces while I was playing the same level as third graders. But when I finished my piece, I remember my parents, they were, they were super proud of me. They said nice things to me. And honestly, it was nice. But who I really wanted to talk to was not my parents, not my peers, but my teacher. It was my piano teacher. The one who had seen me 
grow. How did she think I did? I wanted the approval from the one who taught me piano. And Paul is saying the same thing here. Who did he seek approval from? Jesus Christ, his ultimate teacher. And Jesus lived the same way. He didn't seek the approval of man, but only of God. You remember the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. I could probably get Debbie or Mary, Mary Ellen to maybe sing that song for us. No, just kidding. But Zacchaeus was this little man who climbed the sycamore tree, right? So he could get a view of Jesus while he was walking through. And Jesus stopped at that tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to eat at your house tonight. And the crowd was furious. Luke chapter 19, verse 7 says, All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Ha oh, ha, that Jesus. But in verse 9 and 10 he says, Today salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus didn't care what the crowd thought. Jesus didn't care what the religious elite thought. He came to do the will of the Father and only sought the approval of the Father. I came here, he says, by the authority of the Father, and I'm going to bring salvation to this man's house, regardless of what you think about him. And Jesus and Paul both sought the approval of God not of man. Their motives were pure. And I love this part of the passage as well, that Paul removed any obstacle that could be in the way of the gospel. He just wanted to remove the obstacles to the gospel. I mean, look at the language Paul uses in verse 9. He says, surely you remember our toil, our hardship, he says. Surely you remember that we worked night and day not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. He worked super hard to earn money by tent making probably so that the community did not have to help him with his living expenses. Paul didn't want the Thessalonians to be worried about money or his well-being while he shared with them the gospel. He, he removed the obstacles of judgment and hatred and legalism, and he spoke to them with comfort, encouragement, and exhortation. Why? We know why. Relationships and communication is hard. Come on. It's hard. Some of y'all struggling just to listen right now, amen? Tuesday, Jessica and I woke up to no water at our house. It was pouring rain. I went out to the well, and there was a pool of water flowing out from the well house. I assumed it was a busted pipe, so I called a plumber. The plumber comes out. He goes to the well, and there's no longer water pouring, and so he said, there's no busted pipe. 
He calls an electrician. He checks the pump and the switch. Nothing. By Tuesday night, I was exhausted. I had been dealing with plumbers and electricians all day. We still don't have water to our house by the end of the day on Tuesday. Wednesday comes around. It's the same thing. No water. I come to church. I teach the Bible study on Wednesday night. I come home. I'm exhausted. I don't want to do anything except pick up my phone and pretend that life doesn't exist. I remember I sat down in my chair, began scrolling on my phone. Jesus was, or Jesus, Jesus was with me, but Jessica, <laughs> Jessica was sitting next to me. She said a few things to me. I responded. I honestly don't remember what I said, but I remember she looked at me and said, Jeremy, what's wrong? Are you mad at me? Now, from your angle, you know what's going on. I'm not paying attention. I'm angry about the water. I just want to go to bed. But in the moment, I didn't realize how distracted I was. And this happens every day in our relationships, doesn't it? Every day, whether it's our kids our nieces and nephews, our loved ones, whether it's our co-workers. Relationships are hard. Paul understood this and tried to remove any obstacle he could to that relationship so that the gospel could be communicated clearly because obstacles in relationships tend to make communication rocky. Now, once that distraction was gone, I was able to apologize. We were able to have a good conversation. But until that obstacle was removed, until that distraction was removed, I was unable to communicate with my wife. And as Paul removed the obstacles for the Thessalonians, he was able to clearly communicate the gospel to that community. That's why Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, the tongue has power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Please do not forget that as we try to imitate Jesus Christ, that we have to be very careful with our tongue, choose our words wisely, Remove obstacles that may stand in the way of the powerful work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the last thought I have to share with you this morning. That Paul just simply allowed the word of God to work. The powerful and active word of God to work. Look again at verse 13. And we also thank God continually because... When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, but not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you. It is powerful. It is active. It is working in the lives of that community. And this is encouraging because I don't word good all the time. Sometimes I just don't word good. 
There are times that my words get in the way, but God's word is perfect. It's powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges your thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. God's word is powerful, and we need to allow it to work. Jesus tells the parable of a farmer who planted wheat in his field. But during the night, an enemy came, and he planted seeds of weeds. Now as the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the, wheat all, the weeds also began to appear. And his servants were baffled. He said, didn't you plant good seed? The good seed the parable refers to is the words of God through Jesus Christ. And when we hold on to these words, we will bear good fruit. The problem in this world is not the seed. The problem in this world is the enemy who is sowing a different seed seed of slander, of hatred, a seed of gossip, lies and malice, legalism. These seeds produce weeds. See, I don't work good. These seeds produce weeds. And you can tell what kind of seed was planted by the fruit that it bears. And I think that's why Paul pointed it out to the first Thessalonians, that their community became imitators of God. I planted that seed, he said. I planted that seed, that you might become imitators of God. And then that seed grew, became powerful, and transformed them into people who imitate Jesus. And friends, if the gospel is going to be shared where we live, work, and play, we've got to allow the seed of God's word to activate and become fruit. On Wednesday nights, we're going through a study called Love in Chaos. The study is designed to show us how to love others in this chaotic and sometimes hostile world that we live in. Paul's defense in 1 Thessalonians helps us understand what it means to love others in a chaotic and sometimes hostile world. It means that we imitate Jesus by having pure motives when we share, not to control others, not to extort others, not with greed. It means that we remove obstacles to the gospel, allowing our communication to be clear. It means that we imitate Jesus by allowing God's word, his powerful word, 
to work. This morning, I want you to reflect as we move into our communion time. Reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus and reflect on how well you imitate him in your daily interactions. As we sing this next song, I'm going to invite you to go to one of the three communion stations. We have one set up here, here, and here. And take the cups, go back to your seat and reflect. Bill Hoff is uh, going to come up this morning and share a few thoughts. And we are going to take those cups together, the cup of bread and the cup of wine, of fruit of the vine. Juice, it's Welch's. Thank you. Will you pray with me, please? Father God, we are uh, incredibly grateful for your sacrifice, for the transforming power of your word. We are grateful that you've entrusted us with your gospel. And Father, because of that, I pray that you'll help us as we reflect. Help us to understand our motives. Help us to clear obstacles that might get in the way of your gospel. Help us, Lord, to just allow your powerful spirit and your word to work. Father, thank you so much for your sacrifice, the atonement of our sins, and the gift of a new life found in your resurrection. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.